0: You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Jay Bender is the man behind some of your favorite theatrical experiences. Ever attended a concert at the Encores series? Bender cast it. Enjoy Kristen Chenoweth's performance? Bender helped put her on the map. From Tony-winning performances to memorable ensembles, Bender Casting has assembled the actors who have given you many of your theatrical memories. Now... Jay Bender is telling the story behind Finding Those Performers, as well as that of his own remarkable career, one that began in dinner theater and ultimately encompassed almost every major regional theater company and 11 Neil Simon plays. I'm your host, Mark Pikert, and you are listening to Jay Bender, A Life in Casting. So I... I'm... Excited to speak to you because I think that casting directors are one of the unsung heroes of all of entertainment and particularly in the theater world because you guys are instrumental in creating the performances that we cherish. So I know that you started off as a dinner theater director.
1: (laughs) Yes, that when I first graduated college, actually in 1970. And that's when dinner theaters, you know, were all over the country and I started directing and that's where I had the opportunity to cast most every Neil Simon play, which put me in very good stead <laughs> later on.
0: I just, whenever I hear dinner theater, I think of Kevin Klein and Soap Dish. Yes, me too. Doing Death of a Salesman. Is that, is that typical of dinner theater at the time? Uh,
1: No, actually, it wasn't that bad. I mean, you know, they did, you know, every commercial play, you know, um, but uh, I don't think I'm, I think I'm the only person in the world that's ever directed and rewritten a play called Right Bed, Wrong Husband and gotten rave reviews in Kentucky. If you ever want a script of Right Bed, Wrong Husband, you know, call me. (laughs)
0: so how did you make the move from director to casting director because that's not a typical career shift
1: it was by accident um i opened an office in 1983 uh because i couldn't get a job that paid me as a director and we opened the office with a woman named jane jennings uh, who left the business, but we opened a small office on 54th Street in one room in 1983. But prior to that, uh, my re- the, the person that really started me off was Leonard Soloway, who was Manny Eisenberg's general manager. And prior to that, I had been an independent producer and I had the opportunity to assist Bert Cheveloff, who wrote Forum on Happy New Year. And I had the opportunity to cast Lolita by Edward Albee. That was 1980 and 81. And uh, Leonard said, uh, go down and meet Edward Albee and Frank Dunlop, the director. uh, And I was petrified and I went down to the Alvin Theater, the Neil Simon now, which was also a a premonition. And uh, Edward Albee said to me, uh, there's a part of a one-armed actor in my play. Can you find me a one-armed actor? And I said left-armed or right-armed and I got the job hanging off. We went, uh, to, um, uh, an infamous out-of-town trap, but it was with Donald Sutherland right after ordinary people. And then I opened the office in 83. Uh, and I was, uh, very lucky, uh, that, uh, we had two clients american stage festival in new hampshire and the hartman in uh stanford connecticut uh where i cast kate burton in Miss Alliance*. kate has been a part of my career since the hartman since Miss Alliance*, and in those days uh, when uh i called uh several important agencies um uh, i won't mention the agencies and who knows who the agents were and I said, I'm casting Miss Alliance. And of course, the agent said, well, who's playing Miss Alliance? So that gives you some idea <laughs> of uh, the knowledge of classical theater. And uh, the other um, story I'll never forget is I was doing a Shakespeare play uh, at the Old Globe. Uh, and one of the agents from a very important agency said, and will Mr. Shakespeare be in the room? I swear to you. No. Uh, I swear, that's you can't make this up. <laughs> and then we started to get a reputation. Uh, Mark Brandon, uh, who joined us eventually, and Jack Bowden, who started with me. Uh, we started to get a reputation, and we were then asked and invited to cast several regional theaters, which really served for me as a master class uh, because I got the opportunity to cast most every Shakespeare play Uh, Many Chekhov plays, uh, new plays, and contemporary plays. And it was uh, an incredible experience learning how to do it by doing it.
0: So in the early years, you were certainly doing a lot of regional theaters and a lot of theaters around the country. But you were based in New York. What was the process like of finding those casts? Were you importing New Yorkers? Were you on the ground there doing auditions with local performers? What was the scene like in those? We
1: we never did local auditions. Uh, There were always casting directors uh, in each theater uh, that were in charge of that. Uh, But every single theater came to New York in those days to cast the majority of the plays out of New York. So that, and that's, you know, was a great, great opportunity for me because that's how I began to learn actors and know actors. Because when I started, uh, I really didn't know. And if it weren't for uh, Johnson Liff and Zerman, uh, who were incredibly helpful to me, uh, you know, they actually helped me tremendously until I got, you know, comfortable and started and really, you know, began to know how to do it. Uh, and you know, I was so lucky at the huntington because I got to work on plays like Cymbeline. I mean Cymbeline is rarely done and j.K. Simmons was in Cymbeline. We got to do uh pal joey which richard greenberg wrote an adaptation and uh, donna murphy, uh starred uh as vera Uh, you know at the huntington we got to do uh aristocrats uh by brian Friel, uh, which kate Burton was in. Uh, we got to do uh, Moliere. We got to do you know some incredible things, and at the Huntington, and it was a complete education. Uh, and Louisville was remarkable for me and for Jack. Uh, the Humana Festival, which was one of the really only major new play festivals along with the O'Neill Center. And we cast the Humana Festival for many years. And it was basically in rep. Uh, there yes. Was three theaters and they were in rep. Uh, and the most exciting thing was working on new plays. And each, each, there was a team of two writers that had to have the same cast. And, We were doing, uh, two plays, one written, the only play I think that William Buckley ever wrote and Joyce Carol Oates in the same room. It was absurd, (laughs) absolutely absurd, you know, so I began to, um, to realize that so much of this business of casting is really the key to it of which I've never really truly mastered, is letting and, and making sure that the authors, the director, and the producer really feel that they have complete ownership of their choices. I must say that, you know, one story about Williamstown, when we were doing All My Sons, Barry Edelstein was directing in 1996, and we couldn't find a cast. That would go i mean we you know and so barry trusted me and i said listen i'm sending you joe costa who was uh, a wonderful but never fully recognized actor and of course the fabulous linda stevens and barry trusted me and so you know that's the exciting thing when you work with a director that trusts you and is will he really had no other choice but he did you know as did you know jack o'brien in so many ways when we were doing Hamlet at the Old Globe, uh, he wanted a young student Hamlet. And I had cast Campbell Scott at uh, the North Shore Music Theater, uh, Matinee Shakespeare Theater, uh, Shakespeare uh, Theater at North Shore, as yeah. Benvolio in Romeo and Juliet. And so when I brought up Campbell, Jack said yes immediately without auditioning Campbell. And that led to his first movie with Julia Roberts. So that's the joy of casting is when you have a relationship with a director that trusts you uh with the writer that trusts you and when you can make a difference by casting an actor that leads to wonderful things in their career and it would have happened with all of these people because they are so gifted but i just happen to have the project that they were right for, and the timing.
0: Has that changed over the years, That uh, the necessity of trust? Because in those days, you didn't have self-tapes. You didn't have something that you could very quickly show someone. So people really had to take your word for it more than ever uh, with the resulting technology all and having things on file.
1: It all depends on the director. Uh, fortunately, any actor that the director doesn't know uh, that won't audition which is a whole other topic which I <laughs> somehow uh, agree and disagree with on depending on uh, who it is uh, but if you don't know if a director doesn't know someone well then it's so easy to get tape you know uh, yeah off you know off their websites or, or their agents have their reels which they can send so you know technology has been a tremendous help uh, and so that's very helpful to me. Uh, but it's not as exciting. Uh, you know, it really isn't. It's, uh, in in the days before uh, technology, I mean, it was really about more trust, as, as you say.
0: Yeah. I mean, well, also in those days, I imagine it's much less exciting to sit in Ripley Greer under fluorescent lights than it was to sit in the theater of the winter garden and have someone audition on the stage
1: oh absolutely i mean all the neil simon plays every single play uh excepting brighton beach when neil began you know to become uh more ill than he had been in the past but right. every single every single play we auditioned on the stage of the broadhurst uh, or you know, where one of Neil's plays were running, uh, and uh, that was exciting, because also, the difference between auditioning in a room and auditioning on a stage is completely different. I mean, what can be so wonderful in a room at Pearl uh, is completely different on a stage on Broadway, and that's yeah. because because all plays for years uh when it was you know not as expensive uh were produced and cast in theaters. Manny Eisenberg, of course, when you had a play running, uh at the Broadhurst or at the Neil Simon, you know, uh and you had a play running and you were Emmanuel Eisenberg, who was before he retired, one of the great and major producers working in this the working in the American theater you know, it was easy for Manny to call the Schubert's and say, I'm using the theater, and it was his. (laughs) You know, uh, we auditioned all of Lost in Yonkers uh, at the Broadhurst while uh, Broadway Bound was still running. Uh, In fact, Lost in Yonkers was sort of, if you pick all of the plays that I had the opportunity of Casting for Neil,
0: and it was and you did the, you did eleven Neil Simon plays with him, right?
1: Yeah, I yep, yeah, absolutely, and most of them with Gene Sachs, uh, some with Jerry Zachs, some with Joe Mantello, uh, one with Joe Mantello, one with John Rando, uh, but uh, the combination of Gene Sachs and Neil and Manny Eisenberg uh, was a magical combination. In fact, uh, when I was first asked by Manny uh, to work on Rumors, uh, he called me and he said, Listen, call Neil Simon, call Gene Sachs, and if they like you, you can do this p- play. So I just, I was a nervous wreck and I called Neil Simon <laughs> and I called Gene Sachs, and I thought the best thing to do is just start working. They can't stop me. I was very nervous. I was very nervous and it was it was my dream. It was what I wanted so badly. I kept saying, you know, when is it going to happen? When is it going to happen? And it did. And so we got there the first day and the first two actors came on and they were very well known and they weren't right. And I was saved by one of the most remarkable actresses we have working Today, Christine Baranski was the third person that walked on the stage, and Neil Simon didn't fire me. Uh, and Christine Baranski was cast and was brilliant. And that was the end of that. And then. And the, she won the that, Tony.
0: And she certainly did win the Tony. How did you know that Christine Baranski was going to be a Neil Simon performer?
1: Well, the thing about it is, you know, I had seen her um, in the Stoppard play. Uh, and I thought she was brilliant. I also knew that she was classically trained. She had played Doreen in Tartuffe um, you know, she had she had really paid her dues in regional theater playing all sorts of roles and she was A great great actress and the and the trick to neil simon was to not try and be funny But to, but to behave and to understand the character's behavior And it's the point it's Neil's point of view about the behavior that's funny. Uh we did a reading with Marcia Gay Harden of a play that never happened, and Marcia Gay is a great actress. She called me hysterical, uh saying, I Jay, I can't do this. And I said, Of course you can. She said, But I'm not funny. I said, That's the best thing you can say. Just come in and be the character and let Neil do the work. And that is the trick when we were doing lost in yonkers Uh, it was very difficult to cast the kids and we spent a year casting the kids Uh, it was as difficult casting eugene morris jerome when we went to do the revival of brighton beach We saw hundreds and hundreds of kids of course with lost in yonkers We came back to the first person I showed them, uh, which was danny gerard and uh, Lost in Yonkers was very interesting because they originally offered it to Maureen Stapleton, and Maureen couldn't do it. I then had the idea of Uda Hagen, which everybody loved, and Uda Hagen clearly had no interest in doing it. And so I thought of Irene Worth. Uh, they went to London, Manny and Jean and Neil. They went to London and they met with Irene Worth, and who, by the way, is from Kentucky but had been living in London for so long, everybody thought she was English. And, you know, they were very nervous about whether she could do a German accent. And they went through the lovely lunch, probably at Claridge's, I think, I can't remember. And finally, Jean asked her if she had any trouble doing a German accent. And she was offended. And she said, are you asking me to audition? And they thought, well... Well, I guess that's it. I guess she's not going to do it And so when the dessert cart arrived She ordered dessert with a perfect german accent and uh, she did it for them and uh, That's how you know, she got that role and Kevin spacey funnily enough Uh was not available the day that manny and gene and neil could all be together in new york neil uh, had to go back to california and we had original cast Tony Shaloub, and Tony, f- you know, for whatever reasons that I understood them, was doing a one-man show. We're preparing a one-man show at ART and he s- couldn't do it. He didn't want to do it, and so I wow. called everybody. I called everybody, and I said, "What about Kevin Spacey?" And Neil got on the phone, and Neil said, "Grab him." We grabbed him, and that's how that part of the cast but the most exciting thing for me about that is mercedes rule and Mm -hmm. i had seen married to the mob and i'd seen other people's money and i knew mercedes rule was it and neil had an office in la uh i sent mercedes to neil and mercedes read she was exactly what neil wanted neil called gene me manny and said fly her to new york she flew to new york read for gene and got the part and was shooting another film while we were rehearsing. So she was shuttling back and forth on a plane from LA to New York during most of the entire rehearsal period, which was amazing. And that's how valuable she was to the success of that play.
0: Well, I can't think of another team similar to what you and Neil and Gene Sachs had in terms of a writer, a director, and a casting director. What was your relationship with those two men like? What were the, what were the powwows about casting like?
1: There were never any powwows. Uh, as as Marsha Mason told Neil very early on in their relationship, which was prior to me working with Neil, marcia said the absolute truth the actors pick us we don't pick the actors when someone comes in and clearly and i believe this to this day when someone comes in and auditions and clearly you know i mean there's only been one circumstance which which we'll talk about in the broadway years where i had to Redo the audition material to prove to fifteen people uh, involved in making the decision why they were going in the wrong direction without telling them. Do you know what I mean? Which is part of the casting director's job to make sure to devise ways in which people can have ownership. And sometimes you win and sometimes you lose. But we re- Neil and Gene and Manny and I had a very good relationship. I was always so thrilled when neil laughed because he wasn't laughing at his own material he was laughing at people bringing his material to life i mean you know when when you have people like nathan lane in laughter on the 23rd floor being you know the embodiment of neil's uh, fictitious sid caesar when you have lewis stadlin when you have john slattery when you have uh, Randy Graf, when you know, when you have those people, those are great artists. And even the plays that I didn't cast. I mean, when you think of Christopher Plummer and Francis Sternhagen and Jud Hirsch and Marsha Mason, and uh, were produced and cast in theaters. In the end, to speak very briefly about Brighton Beach and Broadway Bound, which was a real crime uh, that it was not received.
0: And well, it was going was, to be in it was going to play in rep together, and they only know, opened Brighton Beach Memoirs, right?
1: Right, and I had always wanted to open them back to back, you know, one night. But you know, for whatever
0: reasons, they didn't. That cast: Laurie Metcalf, Santino Fontana, Jessica Hecht, uh, Alexandra Socha. Yeah, I mean, uh,
1: it was an amazing group of actors. An amazing group of actors. And Santino, I mean, I was so nervous, not only finding the next Matthew Broderick, which took a year, but finding somebody that could, you know, be as brilliant as Jelko Uh, Ivanic. I mean, but when Santino brought so much to it that I knew instantly, and that's why to this day, you know, I... santino is one of the great american actors we have today you know there's nothing he can't do i mean uh you know i'm sad that people like brian darcy james never got to do you know a neil simon play uh that mm. uh Callista who did a reading uh of a play um was not what that particular director envisioned uh and uh, she never got to do, but you know, Callista, thank goodness, you know, in my regional days did Cordelia in Lear uh, And um, did a, a, a new play by Arthur Copit. So, you know When you see an actor That you know Is going to be special uh, And when they are And are given the opportunity That's the great reward and joy
0: who I'm curious, who were the people that you would bring in most frequently for projects during the Neil Simon years? The one person you know that
1: uh, Neil fell in love with and rightly so uh was Kate Burton. Uh, mm. I mean, because you know she created a miracle. I mean she was cast as his as the representation of his daughter coming back. Uh, You know, to see the mother that had passed away. I mean, Neil, you know, so many of the plays were based on his history with his first
0: marriage with Joan. Joining us for a little bit is Kate Burton, and Kate, you have worked with Jay from early on in both of your careers. He he worked with you a lot when he was casting regional theater, right?
2: Correct. Yes. I um I would say I graduated from the Yale School of Drama in 1982, so pretty much almost from the get-go, I was you know Jay was bringing me in um, for shows and. Um, it, he was such, I mean, still is a such a huge part of my life. But the truth of it is that those, those first 10 years, 15 years, even longer, uh, you know, we've always worked together in, one, in some fashion. And, uh, but those early years, he was extremely important in my life because he was an incredible, not only bringing me in as a casting director for so many different kinds of projects, but also an incredible advisor. Uh, in my career,
0: what is it like when you audition for someone who has displayed that kind of faith in you? Does that change how you approach it
2: Yes I mean just certainly the biggest uh, the biggest thing for a young actor you know is the you know is, is dealing with the audition process, which by the way is very different than the acting process. What you have to do to get a role is very different from what you have to do to to act in the role. And when you have someone who's in your corner, like Jay is, uh, it gives you confidence. And as time goes on, um, it, just, it just helps you feel less nervous. And because the whole notion and what I tell my students at USC is, you know, when you walk into an audition room, the casting director and the director want you to be as great as you can be they're not looking to like catch you out it's not a test of like oh i know you know we're going to put this person through some kind of torture it's actually they want you to do your best and it's a really hard thing as a young actor to wrap your head around that you you still think oh my god it's like you know i'm in the you know the firing squad is in front of me but but what was wonderful about my relationship with jay is that he helped me to have the confidence and I developed, I, I kind of had it quite naturally because I'd grown up in show business. But in truth, because I'd grown up in show business, I actually needed someone like Jay in my corner even more. So many people were, were you know, treating me like Richard Burton's daughter is walking through the door. And so he really knew me, you know. So it was it was extremely helpful.
1: The one thing I knew kate could do kate even from the very beginning coming right out of school she could do anything she could play shakespeare she could do Chekhov. she could do shaw she could do contemporary work and to be honest you know there are certain people as actors and as people that when you know them you instantly fall in love and so it was really easy when you're in love with some (laughs) talent and when you're in love with somebody as a person, because of the kind of person they are, and which makes them the actress or actor that they are, which is, you know, very intertwined. Uh, and that's, you know, how our relationship has always been and still is.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the other thing too is that, you know, I, I one of the things that as I, as I have entered into my... Uh, 62nd year, I'm, I'm, I'm always really honest about my age, is that, um, you know, one of the things that's really, I think, different now, is that there, there's a different set of rules, well, who knows what the rules are, uh, especially now in this terrible time we're living through, but, um, but, but that, you know, when I was coming out of drama school, the sort of notion of a classical theater education was what you did if you wanted to have a career in the theater, um, and whereas now it's different. It's different. It's I mean, still the great schools like you know Yale, Juilliard, NYU. Uh, I throw USC in there, Brown MFA, UCSD in San Diego. You know they're still trying to do that, uh, but they also obviously have to prepare kids for film and television, which my generation really didn't need to do. I mean, we we did, of course, but we got no training in that whatsoever. So the fact that we could do Shaw and Chekhov and Neil Simon and you know Shakespeare and maybe sing a little sing a little song occasionally, as I did, um, you had to have that in your arsenal. And now now it's kind of different. And Jay just recognized those those kids, those of us who just had. The, the theatrical training because, you know, eight shows a week is, is no one's idea of, of an easy time. Eight <laughs> shows a week is really hard and you have to have incredible stamina. And quite frankly, at this tender age, I only do like four to six week runs now because if, if I had like a six month run on Broadway, oh my God, I'd be in the hospital. I mean, you <laughs> know, I, it's just forget it. You know, so those years, you know, where you're really a, a thoroughbred are so important to have incredible casting directors like Jay Bender. Thank you. I mean, we went through, I mean, you know, um, when we did uh,
1: Miss Alliance, you know, we walked, uh, the actors walked onto a set with more flowers. You couldn't get on it. You couldn't get off. (laughs) Uh, You needed pros to know how to do that. And then, you know, the other incredible experience we had is we did Brian Friel's play Aristocrats at the Huntington, which was the Huntington ended up playing a very large part in Kate's life yes. because of Nikki Martin. And this is before Nikki Martin. This was Kate's debut. And it was a beautiful, beautiful production. And I was and it was a beautiful cast. Everything about it was absolutely perfect. And then, you know, uh we led to uh Nikki and Kate asking me to do the seagull Which was a great honor, and that was, you know, just a family of a director, Mm -hmm. a star, and a casting director coming together to create. Really, you know, the seagull is not the easiest of checkoff plays, but it was absolutely spectacular. So, you know, and then um, we just connected on Neil Simon's work. Uh, There was a very personal play called Jake's Women. Uh, that was, I think, the most one of the most personal plays that Neil has ever written. And mm-hmm. Kate, which I didn't know, and she'll tell you uh, that Kate's relationship with Neil goes back even further than that play.
2: Yes. Uh, so Neil Simon uh, was a very close friend of my mother, uh, Sybil Christopher, Sybil, Sybil Burton, and Sybil Christopher, and so I grew up with Neil's daughters, um, Ellen and Nancy, and I knew Neil's first wife, Joan, who passed away. And you know, as cause you know, as kismet would have it, I ended up playing two versions of her: one in Jake's Women and one in London Suite. Um, Well, both by Neil Simon and, but the Jake's Women experience uh, was extraordinary because this was right after Lost in Yonkers, uh, you know, which is definitely, you know, one of Neil's masterpieces, which Jay also cast uh, with, I just must mention him, with our beloved Mark Blum, who just passed away, who we all love so much. Yeah. And the truth of it is that, you know, I... It we felt like it was just really interesting. It felt like for me to play Joan, and for Neil wanting me to play Joan, and for Jay helping, as usual, be the great shepherd, is was just it. it really, actually, changed my life as an actress in a lot of ways. And to be frank, and this is going to sound so callous. But it was the first time I got a good review in the New York Times. Thank you, Frank Rich. (laughs) Frank Rich, I'm just going to throw this out here. Frank Rich, who, uh, oh, yeah. And the great thing was, is he had said that my long-awaited breakthrough, um, you know, I don't read reviews anymore, but it said my long-awaited breakthrough. And Gene Sachs, our phenomenal director, came up into my room (laughs) after this (laughs) review, and he said... Oh, the long-awaited breakthrough. We've been waiting for a long time. You know, I was like, oh, okay. Those guys, I mean, you know, <laughs> having Jay be our, our shepherd to, you know, Manny Eisenberg, who is still totally with us, uh, the beloved Gene Sachs and the, be- and the cantankerous but beloved uh, Neil Simon was, a, you know, it's a theatrical experience I will never forget. It'll be definitely a chapter in my memoirs. Um, because not only did I, I work with Neil, and yet again, Jay had shepherded me into this, but also, you know, with some of the great actresses and, of course, the king of kings, Alan Alta, you know, who, and that was my longest, by the way, that was my longest Broadway run. It did not put me in the hospital because I was quite young, <laughs> in my 30s, but it was uh, it was a very important experience for me. And I realized, Jay, that, I mean, and really you put me into young leading lady roles with like Hypatia Tarleton, you know, and then you moved me into sort of the grown-up leading lady roles, which was uh, aristocrats. And I mean, even though it wasn't a leading lady, it was a fantastic uh, supporting role, uh, Julie and Jake's women. So, you know, there's, and then the seagull, the ultimate uh, actress role which not only was it a family affair because Jay and Nicky Martin were so involved with it, but my own son, Morgan Ritchie played my son. Yes. So, uh, he was uh, playing Constantine Gavrilovich. So, yeah. So, you know, what can I say? I mean, it's like, I realized when I was, um, at the Huntington, I did, f- uh, four plays, four, five plays, four plays, five plays there. But I did when I was doing, uh, the cherry orchard, uh, Uh, earlier on, um, I went and did uh, a talk at Boston Latin, Roxbury Latin, I'm sorry. And uh, I I thought that my life had been, you know, I had become an actress and lived, grown up being an actor with the plays of Anton Chekhov. But then I realized, oh, it was the plays of Anton Chekhov, but it was also the plays of William Shakespeare, which I'd always poo-pooed because of my parents, you know, Shakespearean life uh, but I realize also you know I can say it's Chekhov Shakespeare and Jay Binger. What can I say?
1: <laughs> well and we, bo- we both learned we both in the audition process we both learned a lot. Um, Neil yeah. always chose very long scenes, and preparing 17 <laughs> and 18 pages was a lot. and Neil loved Kate's reading and said to her, "Well go on." And she stopped. She said, Well, can I take a minute? And she grabs me in the hall and said, I haven't read the rest of it. I said, Don't bother. You (laughs) are the part. Just turn the page and keep going. And then what happened, very, you know, which was, of course, um, and it's happened to me once or twice. Then Kate got a pilot and she couldn't do the play. And we are in rehearsal in California. And I receive a call from her agent saying, Kate hasn't gotten the pilot. And I said, okay, give me an hour. And we had been in rehearsal with, you know, a lovely young actress, you know, uh, but it wasn't Kate uh, who was born to play this part. And so this is the way Neil and Jean and Manny worked I got Manny on the phone and I said, Kate's available. Her pilot is not happening. And within the hour uh, we had a deal and I'm on the phone with Kate going, uh, Kate, you're going to LA on Friday. Wow. Yeah,
2: Jay had this thing where he would call me at 7.30 on a Saturday night and I'd be like <laughs> sitting there in my kitchen about to eat dinner. He'd go, honey, you're on a plane to LA. Like pack your bags. And I'd be like, Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. That's the way. And that's the way it works, by the way. That's the way it works. It was the situation then. And it's still the situation. Now you literally, as an actor, you have, it's almost like you have to be ready, you know, to go to the hospital to have the baby. You've got to have the bag by the door, you know, two, two pairs of underwear, you know, your toiletries so that because things like that happen so quickly in this business.
0: I guess my final question before I let both of you go is, Kate, aside from your personal relationship with Jay, what is different about walking into a Jay Binder casting room, audition room, rather than for another casting director?
2: I think the thing is, I mean, look, I've, I've, I've worked with all, all the major casting directors in New York City, and Jay is, you know, the king of kings. He has the, like, you feel as an actor, that he gets you. He just gets you. My sister is a casting director. My mother used to be a casting director at an early point in her life. So I've been surrounded by casting directors in my life. My sister is Amy Christopher. Um, and I will say that you just feel that he's talked about you in, And now knowing what I know now. I feel like he, you know he's, he's prepared the director to see you. And so that you walk into the room and it feels like, it honestly feels like all you have to do is show up because you know that he's done so much of the great groundwork for you. But also as an actor, as I said at the beginning, he gives you confidence because you know that he's very invested in you doing well. So it becomes a wonderful collaboration, which by the way is what theater is all about, is collaboration. And to be honest, to have a great casting director for any director, and I've just—you don't know this, Jay—but I've just started directing a little bit myself, so I'll be calling you. I'll be there. You'll be pleased. Is that it? Is just they're worth their weight in gold because I'm, you know, I'm, I, I, you know, in the professional world, you have so many people to choose from, and of course, you've got the agents talking, and you know, so it is a magical alchemy that Jay has to be able to match. The, the actor with the director, and then if the playwright is still living, the playwright. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I could not be more blessed with the regional theater that I had the opportunity of casting, uh, and the years with Neil, and the experiences that I've had, and we came to be very close friends. And I'll just end um, with when he passed away, uh, Bill Evans, his longtime press agent, and Elaine, his wife, uh, and I uh, organized his funeral. And that was sort of a closure for me and one of the great responsibilities that I've been asked and it sort of closed the chapter, although it will never be closed for me, because it was the beginnings of what led to the great Broadway years
0: and encores. And yes, Bender- and, and we will be talking about the Encore series and the importance of star power, and more importantly, even, even more importantly, perhaps, star persona, in the next episode. This is Jay Bender, A Life in Casting, a podcast from RWS Entertainment Group and Bender Casting, in association with the Broadway Podcast Network. Starring Jay Bender, hosted by Mark Pikert, Produced and directed by Mark Brandon and Kyle Coker. With executive producer Ryan Stana, consulting producers Joe Christopher and Abby Buell. Artwork by Justin Squiggs Robertson. Marketing Concept by Kevin Lau, Marketing Content by Amy Cannon, and a special thanks to guest star Kate Burton.